Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Well, this is really a fun dig a bit for me to do. Today I was down in the basement doing some long overdue cleaning and I came across some books that were typed. Uh, They're typed on an old-fashioned typewriter and they're little, I'm going to say they're about seven by five. That would be five by seven. They're little five by seven notebooks with uh, little rings in them that bind the pages together and the pages are all lined pages and my grandfather took those pages and put them in his typewriter and typed out sermons that he wanted to preach and I'm sure that was for the Jacksonville Church of Christ where he was a longtime elder and sometimes he would deliver the lesson there. And so today I looked through those and there are all kinds of lessons about faith. Here's one about the trials of faith. Sometimes he would type in red when Jesus was talking. Sometimes he would just forget to change his ribbon and type in red all the time. But he talks about um, Moses. Here's a lesson about Moses. Uh, Here's a lesson about does God mean what he says? And he takes Old Testament examples about how God punished when people did not believe that he meant what he said. Then he talks about uh, examples in forgiveness, uh, Christ forgiving his enemies, and when Jesus forgives, he fully forgives. And then we have... um, Oh, lessons about the different um, estimations of Jesus that people had in the New Testament. We have the direct commands of Jesus in the New Testament. We have a lesson on preaching and what it means to preach the Word. And then we have, here's a lesson about Jesus' birth, an angel speaking to Joseph. And and we go on and read about uh, some lessons that we learn from the birth of Jesus the earthly life of Jesus. And it's just really interesting for me to read because sometimes he stopped typing and just started writing in his hand. Here's here's a lesson about the purpose of preaching. And then we go back to the back, and this is the one that I wanted to... Here's a lesson about David. But I wanted to go back to the very back of the book. And the last lesson, at least in this little journal, was about questions. It was about the number, first of all, of questions that he introduced this lesson by telling them the number of questions in the Bible. He says there are 3,226 questions in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there are 2,233. And in the New Testament, there are 9,000, I mean, 993. So 3,226 in all, 2233 in the Old Testament and 993 in the New Testament. And so he says some of these questions were asked by God, some by Christ, some by the apostle, some by the devil, and some by mere men and all for different reasons. He said the devil asked the very first question um, and he describes uh, the devil coming to Eve and saying, has not God told you that uh, verse chapter 3 verse 1, the serpent was more more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? That was the first question, he said. And it was asked by the devil. The first question asked by God is in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 9, when 
the serpent did tempt Eve to sin and then God came on with a with a pretty big interrogation there and several questions were asked but but the first question that God asked was where art thou of course and he was addressing Adam at that time it says now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made my grandfather had typed out all of these passages and he said to the woman yea has God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman said to the serpent there's the first question of the devil and the woman said to the serpent yes we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God has said ye shall not eat of it neither shall ye touch it lest ye die and the serpent said to the woman you shall not surely die for God does know that in the day ye eat thereof then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her her husband with her and he did eat I'm sure my grandfather talked about the power of planting a doubt planting a question in the mind of the servants of God and how the devil loves to do that my grandfather then went to 1 John 2 15 and 16 where sin is described as the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and he applied each one of those to the to the fruit that Eve was about to take and then he talks about in verse 7 the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden and the Lord God called unto Adam here's God's first question and said unto him where art thou or where are you my grandfather then wrote in his hand here where are we in God's program to save souls we're we trying to hide from God he says we can't hide from God and he, he quotes there uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 he says things are open to the eyes of God God doesn't really have any questions to which he doesn't already know the answer then he went on and discussed another question and this was a question asked by Cain am I my brother's keeper he typed out the scriptures there and he says a whole sermon could be preached about loving our brothers and loving the lost enough to take on the responsibility of recognizing that we have every responsibility to be the keepers of our brothers and he went on to to think about some more questions in Psalm 8 verses 3 and 4 what is man that thou art thoughtful or mindful of him for you have made him a little lower than the angels God God's love for man in my grandfather's handwriting here is astonishing he created him in his own image Genesis 1 27 he created him pure clean and holy and he loves him and he said man is a dual being body and soul and spirit and God lets this old fleshly body decay and go back to the dust but he preserves the spiritual part for a better or a worse place man gets to choose man is a free moral agent and he and he can choose where he will spend eternity and, and then he goes on to talk about nature is beautiful but nature can't choose in second peter 3 verse 10 the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat the earth also and the works that are in that are therein shall be burned up and then he goes on to say that in that same chapter 
verse 11 says, So seeing these things, considering this, the end of the beautiful nature that God has made, the end of the material earth, seeing then that all these things, verse 11, shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? in all holy manner of life and godliness, looking to and hasting to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens are on fire, will be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So he moved to another question then, seeing that we have a choice, we are the only creatures on the earth that have a choice, and seeing that God is going to melt this earth with fervent heat and all things that are on it will be dissolved. What kinds of person should we be? And my grandfather's line here says, what kind of man ought I to be? Are we making preparations? And then he went to this question in Hebrews 2 verses 1 to 4. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Here's the question. How shall we escape? There's our word, escape. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. And then my grandfather just wrote in his own hand beneath those verses, How shall we escape? Well, the answer to that rhetorical question is we will not escape if we neglect the salvation that Jesus willingly, as our text as our study this month shows as if we neglect that salvation that he willingly brought to us on the cross we will not escape and then he asked another question from Matthew 16:26 what is man profited if he shall gain the whole world in the words of Jesus and lose his own soul or what shall he give in exchange for his soul and then he typed this line in God's balance the soul is worth more than the whole world. Christ values the soul more than the world, thus his willingness to go to Calvary. And then another question next from 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18. What shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God be? What shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear. And then he brought it down to the people who were sitting there in his audience. And he brought them to a question that Pilate asked of the Jews in Matthew 27, 22. What shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? We're right up on the cusp now of the study that we're doing this month about the cross, about all of the escapes that could have occurred. Of course, Christ could have overcome the spirit of the Jews here and the, the indifference of Pilate at this moment. But he was doing something willingly. My grandfather typed here, but he listened to Christ's enemies. He had the power and authority to do what he pleased. He was the governor. But he listened to Christ's enemies, and he just remained neutral. And my grandfather pointed out King Agrippa was almost persuaded in Acts 26, 27. Paul said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. King Agrippa said to Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. And yet he too remained neutral. And when you remain neutral, 
You give your allegiance away from Christ and to the devil, away from the willing Savior and to the one who wills you to an eternal damnation in hell. And then in red and in his own hand, my grandfather wrote the most important question. And then he typed, is found in Acts 16, verse 30. Acts 16, verse 30. I'm going to turn there in my Bible right now. You might want to be turning there as well. But you remember, this is going to be the account of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. And my grandfather says, read verses 25 to 34. You know what? I think I'm going to read what my grandfather <laughs> typed for me to read here. Acts 16, beginning in verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Here's the question, sirs. What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved in your house. And they spoke unto him then the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Then my grandfather says the most perverted scripture is Mark sixteen sixteen. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. So men go to that passage, a passage that clearly answers in the words of Jesus, what must one do to be saved? And he said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. There's just no way in the rules of grammar, in the language in which it was written, and in the language in which it's translated, our English, to take away the fact that baptism there has just as much weight as a command of the Lord as does belief. My grandfather went to Acts 2.37, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Another question answered by Peter. The same question, what shall we do to be saved? Those who were pricked in their hearts upon hearing the first gospel sermon and Peter's answer then was, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. And in Acts 8 verse 36 then, my grandfather went to the Ethiopian nobleman and explained how he was baptized into Christ where there was water. And both he and Philip went down into the water. He then went to Saul's question in chapter 9 of Acts verse 6. What will you have me to do? And then he went to the answer that was delivered by the spokesman of the Lord Ananias in Acts twenty-two sixteen, where he said, Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. I love that last page of my grandfather's little sermon book, little notebook that I have here in front of me. I love it. Because what it means is that my grandfather learned the way to the cross. He was not born into a Christian family, but he learned the way to the cross. And he intended to answer the question for 
my mom's generation, for my generation, and for my children's generation, not of his own devices, but he intended to answer that question from the scriptures. And he not only answered it for himself and for us, but he intended to proclaim it in every situation in which he found an opportunity. It's the great escape. And it's, it's made available to us by the Christ who was willing to come and be the sacrifice. When he could have escaped, he chose the cross so that I could escape. Thanks for listening. If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. Dig a Bit is a production of Digging Deep in God's Word, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.